0: This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. Historically, most of the people who undertook a pilgrimage, like the famous Camino de Santiago in Spain, did it for reasons of faith, but many modern day travelers, regardless of their beliefs, Began tackling them because it's a unique way to discover a destination. At the same time, pilgrimages can also act as a journey of self-discovery. But is having that intention a good thing?
1: I think sometimes having an intention, like a very specific intention, can be overwhelming and having that expectation can feel weighty.
0: That was today's guest, Kari Gale, sharing a bit about her experience hiking 500 miles from the French border into Spain on the Camino de Santiago, which is a big topic we hit on in this episode. And many of the perspectives she shares, I believe, can be helpful and healthy ways to think about any type of trip.
1: In any sort of travel, having a sense of curiosity over expectation is a really great place to be.
0: And curiosity can, of course, lead us down New rabbit holes we may not have considered before. And perhaps today's episode offers a new one for you. If you've been documenting your travels through journaling, that's a pretty common way to do it. But have you ever considered painting? It's not something I've ever considered before, but it's something that Kari teaches. She captures her time on the road with a paintbrush and shares some tips around this style of journaling, as well as some of the benefits that go along with it.
1: Don't get me wrong. I love a good travel photo just as much as the next person. But when you draw something, you are cementing that memory in your brain. And it is, it's wonderful. All of that
0: and much more coming your way in the interview segment of today's episode. Plus a shout out to a listener in this community who just got through something all travelers must face at some point. So I want to give her some props and get this show going, shall we? Hey, it's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. It's a pleasure to have you here. Hope this finds you well. Excited to bring you the interview segment today. One of the things I forgot to mention at the top is that Kari lives in a tiny house. So we do talk about minimalism, which, of course, is a topic that can apply to a lot of travelers, maybe some coming back who want to pare down, others who are looking to travel long-term or full-time and need to pare down. So we get some tips around that, along with the discussion about the Camino de Santiago. I just looked up some stats on that particular pilgrimage. And apparently they had a record year last year, some 400,000 pilgrims. Hit the trail. Did you know you have to hike at least 100 kilometers to get your certificate on the Camino? But there are many versions you can do. So if you're doing that one, or if that's something you've always dreamed about, you're going to hear a bit about the experience today. And uh, there are many versions of that you can do as well. Like anything, you can do a modified version based on the amount of time you have. But if you want something less crowded, there are other options for you as well. There's actually one in my backyard called St. Olaf's ways and something I've been wanting to do for a long time. And it's right here. I mean, it starts right in the city. I have hiked a little bit of it, but haven't had the pleasure of doing the multi-day or multi-week thing yet, <laughs> but it's always good to have some travel goals and travel dreams to work towards no matter how close or far they are. Let me quickly introduce, Our guest today, Kari Gale, is an artist who specializes in capturing the narratives of journey, food, and travel through pen, ink, and watercolor. From her tiny house in Portland, Oregon, she works as an author, illustrator, and creative mentor to others looking to document their own stories through journal art. You can learn more about her workshops and her artwork and everything she's got going on over at KariGale.com. We'll link up to that in the show notes. Let's get into today's interview. Stick around on the back end if you'd like to hear from a fellow listener in this community. I want to give a shout out to her. She got through something that every traveler has to face at some point. I'll also leave you with a nice quote on a topic that comes up today, curiosity. Now, let's slip and slide into the interview segment and I'll see you on the other side.
1: Essentially, I'm from Portland. I don't really, I don't think of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho is my hometown. You know, I think of Portland as my hometown. So.
0: 15 is kind of a tough age to move.
1: Gosh, you know, I moved at, in ninth grade, I moved schools in 10th grade. I moved schools in, at my senior year. So I moved four times in high school. And uh, yeah, it was, some of it was not I couldn't I didn't have any control over it. And then the last the last move to my senior year, I actually did have control over it. It was something I wanted to do. So um, but yeah, it definitely makes you um it gives you the ability to really uh walk into a group and start talking and, you know, it's just those awkward years, but it it made it I it was forced me to kind of come out of my sort of more shy shell and become way more extroverted because I had to, you know, meet people. So Um, yeah. What would you say
0: you're, you're, where are you an introvert, outrovert, extrovert? I used to think I was a introvert, outrovert scale.
1: (laughs) I used to think I was a massive extrovert and over through COVID. And then, um, in the relationship that I'm in, my, my partner is a, we've been together almost four years and he's very much an introvert. And I think being around him and COVID, I think I would call myself an ambivert is what they call it now. Or is that right? Yeah. It's called, it's called an ambivert because, you know, we think of ambidextrous and they've coined this new term for people that are like half extrovert, half introvert. So I still really love, uh, you know, I get energy from people, but I also need my alone time. So I'm not, I wouldn't call myself one or the other now for sure. I need, I need a lot more alone time than I used to. And maybe that's just aging. (laughs) I don't
0: know. Do you think the bouncing around in, in school during that time maybe contributed to your confidence to travel?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I do think that my, you know, those early experiences, um, you know, traumatic though they may be, you know, finding the friend at lunch, um, you know, I think it did it did contribute it to my independence and my ability to to be um be out on my own for sure. So yeah.
0: Well, I should say Kari Gale. Welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, uh, we can find your work at KariGale.com and we'll link up to all this stuff in the show notes. We have a lot to talk about. So many different parts to your journey that I think travel, obviously, I think being a, a big centerpiece, but... Yeah, I saw somewhere maybe it was your about page that you like spontaneous late night karaoke. So I always (laughs) like to ask people what their go to karaoke song is.
1: (laughs) I kind of have a go to karaoke artist, and that is Pat Benatar. She's my muse. I love her, love her, love her, and she has endured. I saw her live um, at the Zoo concerts here in Portland a couple years ago, and she was, of course, with her husband. And you know they've been a duo for. He wrote all of her songs. um, And she was phenomenal and did not, she was as powerful as she's ever been. And it was so inspiring. Um, yeah, I love her. So I, you know, uh, I would say We Belong, Love is a Battlefield, any any of her classics. Except I don't really do Hit Me With the Best, with Your Best Shot because that's kind of overdone. So I'm going to go with the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually,
0: she doesn't do it anymore. I read that. I don't know if you read that about her. She she oh. said she vowed to stop performing that song live because of the
2: sort yes. of
0: messaging behind it. Yeah. Yeah, she's a pretty old. Cool move one of your big hits, you know. I think that says a lot about who she is. And I, I don't know her. I mean, if, Pat Benatar. If you're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, you want to come on, please.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we love you, Pat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's some people googling right now like, Pat Benatar.
1: Yeah, totally. And Pat I think Benatar. most most young youngsters they know the songs, but they may not know the artist. You know, they may they've yeah. heard the songs, but
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I like when somebody's willing to take a stand like that, that, you know, you know, it's probably, you go to a Pat Benatar concert. She's, you know, there are people that are sure want to hear that song. They're not going to hear it because Pat's just like, I'm not singing the song anymore. Cause I don't believe in the, the lyrical messaging behind it or whatever. And it's just like, well, you can think what you want. I'm just going to stand up for what I believe in. Yeah. Know?
1: I love that. And because she has so, so many hits, It doesn't really matter if that was her one big one-hit wonder. Then, and actually, you'll laugh at who I saw her performing with. Who? Who? Guess who opened for her? Just guess.
0: Steve Winwood.
1: Rick Springfield.
0: Whoa. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and there uh, to be honest i didn't really know any of the songs except jesse's girl so i was i was surrounded by a crowd of, of, of women about maybe 10 years older than me maybe and they were going crazy and they knew all the words and it was it was it was more fun to watch the audience than to actually watch watch the performer and, yeah
0: if i could write a one-hit wonder i would be thrilled i don't know if anybody's like Poo-poos, oh, that band, they were just a one hit wonder. It's like, well, that's more hits than I've ever had.
1: <laughs> I totally agree with you. And if they did you know, if they were a good financial person, then they rode that one hit wonder all the way to the bank and are still getting, you know, royalties from that song. So.
0: Absolutely. You're in your tiny house right now, huh? I can see it. I am, I and it's, video.
1: it's kind of funny because you can see my to, I didn't Your really Booze collection. My booze collection is right behind me, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's, I laugh when I do zooms or, or calls like this because you can see it right behind me. It looks like I, I partake more than I do, but well, you know. I mean,
0: you do have draw like some wonderful drawings of cocktails. Too, I
1: right? do. Yeah. I actually, I love drawing food. Um, food and travel is really my lo- which is kind of sounds kind of, um, strange for an illustrator, but, um, Those are the things I love. So I like to draw them.
0: People should check out the link in the show notes, but I was looking through your portfolio and your website and just some beautiful work. We are going to get into how that... I have a lot of questions around painting and travel and kind of like how those go hand in hand for you and and creativity and stuff like that. I guess I first want to ask you, what kind of a corporate employee were you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was actually a really good corporate employee.
0: Um,
1: I, 10 years, right? Uh, almost 11. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, I, I'm a strange beast in that I really, I'm very organized, super detail oriented. I'm this a very strange artist in that I have this very different side. so i i I I'm the girl that if we're doing like an art show, uh, if I'm trying to plan like a group art show, I'm the one that like corrals all the artists because I'm the organized one. And so I have a very um, very, you know, big part of, of who I am is, is sort of, dare I say, admin, that's horrible. Organized. Let's say organized. Is it though? I mean,
0: you know, it's good. I think it's a good thing, right? Uh, There's like that... I don't know. There's the sort of like these preconceived notions that our artists should all be sort of like out of control not, not knowing where anything, you know, I think it's like, you know, it's when I, to, and
1: I do think it's a misnomer nowadays because, um, nowadays that makes me sound like ancient nowadays, it used to be that artists who could potentially be more just that pure creative. But if you talk to any creative now, they're not only, they probably spend the least amount of time doing their creative work. And then the rest of the time is marketing and media and social, you know, creating content and, and all the things that you have to do to actually move your, move your, um, your work out into the world. And so I think absolutely most creatives have to be that way now. They have to be wear so many hats because, I mean, on, on one level, you can because there's all these wonderful um, tools out there. But on the other hand, sometimes it's a little intimidating in the sense that there are all these tools. So you think I c- I, c- I should be able to do this, and so you start to think you could be a web designer and a you know uh, you can do all the things and in many ways that takes away from your creativity. And so it's a hard balance to, I mean, I'm doing that right now. I'm just, I'm redesigning my site and trying to um, hopefully within the next few months, I'm going to be getting some of my travel workshops um, online in the way that you'll be able to download the classes and take them whenever you want to. And that's a whole, I mean, that's a whole nother set. And so it's, um, but I can do it, you know, I can, I can learn. And so it's, uh, you know, if I was a little bit, uh, more flesh, I probably would, you know, hire someone that's, pro- that's professional to do that. But because I can learn, I do, you know, I, I have the ability to go and, and, and try to do that myself, which I think most, you know, most creatives are, are doing that. So we have to put that hat on.
0: It's the solopreneur's curse in some ways, but also, I mean, there's all the things you mentioned, marketing and, branding or whatever, all the things that are tied in with that. There's creativity in that, of course, too. Sure. Absolutely. Just a little bit a different,
1: a different way, you know, of, of expressing your creativity.
0: Yeah. But like you said, I think that is always a tough balance. The idea that, okay, I can do this. I can figure that I know I'm capable of figuring it out or, you know, I, I know I have the, capacity to dive in and figure something out. Cause I've done it before. So I can figure out this web thing and I can figure out this next thing and, and balancing that with like, at what point do you actually get the help? Well, that's where I see a lot of the burnout happening with a lot of nomads or online business people or whatever. It's like at some point there's a tipping point where the burnout sets in and, and you're just like, I, I know I can do these things, but I can't do it all. But then do I have the funds to actually invest? And that's always a tricky line.
1: It is super tricky. And I think, too, being a nomad, when you're out, you know, living wherever you're living when I was living in Spain and, um, you know, there is this this idea that that one of the beauties of, of working remotely is that you can do everything, you know, from your from your your you know, your laptop, you can you can do it all. And and to some extent, that is absolutely true. And it's wonderful. But at the same time, I guess, and at the same time, it is, it is a, a, I think you have to be really devoted to balance that with, I mean, I talk to lots of artists who haven't done actual work, work, like their, their true work in months and months, because they're so busy trying to do the other piece, you know, fill in those other pieces to get their work out in the world, to make a living so they can go back to do their work. And, um, you know, whether that's writing, if you're, you know, know if if you I think if maybe you're hooked into like if your work is super related to the work that your actual work does that make sense so like if you're a if you're writing uh you're writing about travel and you're you're i don't know I don't know I, I would be interested to talk to to someone who does that just because for me the art per se like right now isn't necessarily the like I'm working on some passion projects. And so those passion projects aren't necessarily bringing me an income. So I need to do other things that are pushing forth the work that's going to bring me an income. And so sometimes I, I separate, you know, I have the work that's more commercial and then I have the work that's actually what I love to do. So it's, it's always a balance, right? It's the, it's the dance, the age old dance of the artist.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I guess you'll never know too, when, if something hits, then all those passion projects could become big deal things later on in the big picture, you just, you just don't know. Yeah. Knowing that the passion projects, I guess let's get into this, knowing that the passion projects are, you're seeing them as passion projects as you go into them, right? You're like already saying, you're acknowledging like, maybe the chances of this making big money aren't so good. There's a chance, but you're kind of acknowledging that, right? For people out there that are kind of having that dilemma, should I work on the passion projects or should I, you know, push forward the stuff that has, I guess, a better chance to monetize. What do you? How do you make those decisions personally to move forward with those projects? Because there is a big time and sweat investment. And
1: absolutely, um, you know the the two big pro- passion projects that I worked on. The first one came out of my my um, my walk on the Camino de Santiago, and that was oh really God, God. yes. We'll we'll circle <laughs> back. And so that was that was very organic, and that was really the first. Project that I had worked on that um, you know I had no thoughts about it at all until later on, and then the second the second uh, project. Well, wait, hold was... on! Tell
0: people what because it, it's so cool. The art oh, of walking was... an illustrated journey.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. well, we can we don't have to circle back. We can talk about the Camino right now. The Camino was really what shifted a whole bunch of things in my life and. So, you know, a lot of folks, if, if you folks, you know, your listeners are going to know, most of them are going to know now what the Camino de Santiago is. Um, when I walked it in 2013, there wasn't a lot of folks who knew what it was. Um, but it is the pilgrimage across Spain. And there's multiple routes, but the route that I chose at that, in that year that I walked with my sister is a 500-mile walk from the border of France, um, a little town called Saint-Jean-Pied-de-Port, across Spain to the town of Santiago de Compostela. And so in that walk, it was a, for us, it took 40 days. We were, we were very middling. We didn't, we weren't fast and we weren't slow, but, um, we walked for 36 days and we had four rest days kind of interspersed in the larger cities. And the book came out of me really, um, my sister and I would walk together, but I'm actually six foot three. I know you can't tell from the camera, but, um, I'm much taller than she is, and so I would walk faster than her, and I would get to our towns at the end of the day sooner than she would. And so I would um, I would basically grab a glass of wine from the albergue And I would sit on the edge of the trail. And the reason why I would do this is we had decided not to bring anything digital with us. So we left our phones at home, which was quite a big deal, even a bigger deal now. But it was so, so incredible. I was so glad that we did it. But what that meant was is when I entered the town, you know, there are small towns, but there would still be, you know... I don't know, 10 places to stay, perhaps. Sometimes there was only one, but if there was 10 places to stay, I would go to the first place that we had thought we were going to stay at and it might be full. So I would have to go find a bed in another place. So it wouldn't necessarily be right on the trail. Now, if you've walked the Camino, there are signs and symbols, there's shells and arrows to guide you along the way. So you don't really need to have a map. You can just follow these signs. Um, And so I would get there, I would go find us a bed and then if that bed might not be on the actual path that my sister would be walking. So because we didn't have a phone to say, hey, I'm in the blah, 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 I would get my wine. I would go back to the path. I would sit down right where, you know, the path crossed that area and I would draw. I just started to draw. And so I hadn't really ever done this before, but I had taken a, a class. I've always been an artist But I'd never done any journal art before and I decided to take a journal with me and that little kit of paints that you probably saw on my website, which is now sort of, um, it's part of my travel workshops, but um, my, my aunt had actually shown me how to do that from a workshop she had taken. And so I had this little kit of paints with me and I decided, well, I'll, I'll take this with me and see what happens. And I saw so in this waiting time of waiting for my sister, I would draw and this ended up happening every day. So I ended up starting to do this kind of ritual, wonderful ritual of drawing every day. And the thing that was really beautiful about it was that it wasn't me going and finding the most beautiful thing to draw. It was literally what was in front of me. So it could have been a, you know, a cracked wall. It could be, um, a broken down house. It could be, you know, in some cases it was my coffee cup that I was drinking out of or, or my wine glass, you know? So, um, so after 40 days I had more than 40 drawings. Um, and, uh, later on I, um, I decided to, to take those drawings and, and make a book out of them. I, I walked the Camino, um, after a really hard divorce and so not that it's so funny i say that i'm like every divorce is hard that's kind of part and parcel but i i did it as just a way of sort of grieving the loss of that marriage and then sort of trying to figure out where i was headed next and so part of the book is really my um the the kind of prose in the in the book is is directly from my journal during that time of like kind of what i was walking walking literally walking through and and emotionally walking through and so that was really, you know, when I say passion project, I don't think it could get more personal than that. Like it was really me expressing, um, these feelings of, of, you know, um, grieving my marriage. So, but, so I decided to publish that and, um, it really gave me this wonderful experience of publishing a body of work. So, you know, that first drawing out of the gate, you look at the first drawing and compared to the end, you can see the progression of my skills in the sense that I, you know, when you do something for 40 days in a row, you can't help but get better. And so um, that's one of the things that I teach in my workshops. This thing of just like where you ever you start. If you if you if you enter into a practice and you do something every day, you're going to get better at it. You can't help but get better. So um, it's fun to show a body of work over a period of time, and I prefer that over like perhaps like a painting, like just one painting where you choose your best, and I show it to you. I like the humanness of the sort of the the fallibility of seeing those earlier works, you know, and it's showing them within the context of a time period. And so, um, so that was really my first passion project, and it really—I um, love books, I love reading, I love illustration. Um, I grew up without a television, and so that is sort of where when I really want to relax, it's reading that I go to. And so, um, so my second passion project came out of my time that I stayed in the Iona. And it was a book as well. It ended up being kind of a very similar project where I was living on this island, um, which it's an incredible island If you for your, for your listeners that haven't been there. It's tiny. It's uh, hard to get to, but once you get there, it's it's a stunning, stunning place. And um, so Iona is off the coast of the Isle of Mole, which is off the coast of Scotland. And you basically take a train from Glasgow to, um, the little seaside town of Oban. And then you take a ferry across to Mull, and then you ride a a bus across the Isle of Mull. And then you take a ferry from the Isle of Mull across to, um, to Iona. And there's about a hundred residents on the Island. There's no cars on the Island. I mean, you can't take a car on the Island. There's a few cars for the residents, but I stayed in, um, the only hostel, which is now turned into, um, a self-catering hostel, but it was a, a hostel at the time where you would come and, um, and there was, you know, there was people from all over the world there. It was really, really cool. Um, and I stayed there for a month in, um, in February and a month in November. So I got the two ends of winter and, um, And basically just lived on the island and drew on the island and heard stories from the the residents and just um, got basically did a handful of drawings. The reason why I started out is in order to do the artist residency, I had to do a little show. And so I did these drawings um, for that first month in February. And then when I presented the drawings... The residents, we were, you know, I was sharing my stories, and I shared my book of uh, the Camino, and one one older lady raised her hand, and she's like, "So you're gonna do a book about our island, of course." <laughs> and I I kind of looked at her, and I'm like, you know, maybe I will. And so it just planted this seed, and I came back that November, and then and did a whole nother month of work. And with those two months of drawings and writings that I had done, I was able to put together a book. And so that was my next book. So neither of these, these, these projects, I knew they would make pretty much zero money. And, um, and I didn't,
0: uh, it it sounds like the first one was necessary to get the artist residency for in the second one. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Well, the first, the, the first, the first, uh, you know, group of drawings, um, The the first group of drawings I had to complete uh, for the book, you know, um, my Iona book were were part of that book. And so then the second group was really like just me pursuing, continuing to kind of pursue that. And so um, it was you know, I sell those books literally on the Island. <laughs> so I, you know, you can go to the, there. The, there's an incredible gift shop called they own a craft shop and you can go on the Island and you can buy that book right there and you can buy it on Amazon. It's very, very cool. And I've had multiple people email me who have bought my book on the Island. And, you know, you know, I don't know how many I've sold over the years, but those little emails that I get are so, um, they're so precious to me. Like when someone says, I took this book and it, 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 it helps me remember my time there. It's so, you know, it's so important to me. And so, um, those are the things I love. And so I have to supplement those passion projects with some way to actually make a living, you know? And so that's the balance. And so the way you, your original point of how do I balance that is I do find other work. I do contract work. So I do contract work um, with events, I do contract work, project managing, um, you know, someday I hope organically, maybe my art would, would be enough for me to exist solely on that. But currently that's not the, that's not my situation right now. So, but I do take that other work so that I can continue to pursue the work that I love. And so, right. you know, I get it's, it. It's, I, I, it's, it's, <laughs>
0: it's, it's great that we talk about, of course, the financial side of things is it's a necessary part. Of of life, right? I mean things we have to deal with financially. But there are different forms of currency. Like you said, the emails, like you know, I get emails from listeners or whatever. Like that is, to me, that's the greatest feeling when you hear stories from people or somebody that bought your book or whatever. And that's that's a currency in and of itself that has a different kind of value that that I think you hold much closer in many ways. Like, yes, there's the practicalities of earning a living, but there there are many forms of currency i guess
1: <laughs> 100% 100% when i get an email after one of my workshops and someone says you know i never thought i could do this and i went out and i took i took my journal on my you know my trip across africa and you know and it was it changed how i looked at things i you know that those are those are the things that makes you know makes me Know that I'm doing the right work and I'm, you know, it doesn't show up in my bank account, but it shows up in that emotional bank account. Like I'm like, yeah, this is the work that I'm supposed to be doing, even on this small scale. And I think that's the other thing I want to say is in this world of social media and how many, you know, followers and likes and how many, you know, reels and TikToks, I'm not on TikTok yet. I, I haven't been, I haven't even been tempted, but um, the idea that some, you can impact people in a smaller, in a smaller, you know, circle of people. And it's still, it's absolutely meaningful, right? It's just because you're only impacting a smaller group of people doesn't mean that it's not just as important. And sometimes because you're impacting that smaller group of people, And they feel like, you know, my students feel like they can email me and share a piece of work and I'm going to email back because we're actually developing a relationship. Um, That to me is more important, Um, you know, and I'm not going to say that wouldn't it be amazing if something I did blew up and I had a bunch of followers that, you know, I'm not going to deny that, but that judging, you know, how, how important is the work I'm doing? I don't judge my work by based on, on, on this sort of, um, you know, vanity moving. metrics. The vanity metrics, exactly. Yeah. And this this thing that is constantly moving and changing, and you never know where you are with it. And every, you know, one moment it can be up and down, and so it's you know, it's a necessary evil in all of this. But but uh, yeah, not judging yourself by that, you know. So
0: we'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries. Two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude go. To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash altitudego to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan pathfinder with seven drive modes the pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys and it even has the best towing capacity in its class up to 6,000 pounds so you can bring the fun with you but nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go in a pathfinder the real fun comes from getting there and that's something we love celebrating here on the zero to travel podcast we believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself and that's why We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. You mentioned uh, this allowing you to see things differently. With journaling in this way, you know, of course, common way to journal, writing or taking pictures, which is you know, uh, I think everybody loves to take pictures when they're traveling and, and that's great. And now with the, with the phones and everything, of course you can take millions of pictures and, but you know, to sit and choose something to draw and then spend a lot of time with it and then do that day after day, it must change your relationship to maybe the trip or just the subject or know, yeah, Talk about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things I think is so powerful is when you sit down to draw something, you know, the biggest, the first thing you'll notice is you have to slow way down, right? You have to slow Hard, down. Sometimes Hard, yeah. And, and I mean, we all had that forced upon us in COVID and not many people liked it, right? You know, some people were like, yeah, I got a big bread. And other people were like, what? I can't do this. And so um, you slow way down. And then when you're looking at something to draw something, you you have to look at it a different way. And so you start to see the details, you know, something that you might've walked by a hundred times and never looked at again. When you start to draw it, you notice all the intricacies of, you know, if you're, you know, let's just say you're drawing a flower. Let's just use that. You know, you look at it, you look at the color and the shape and the way the light is, 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 you know, reflecting off the leaves. It's the, the, the attention to detail. It makes you just have this appreciation. I call my workshops, um, at first, it was a travel journal, but then when we went into COVID, um, the this idea of um, finding the ordinary beautiful, right? This idea of it, it's capturing the beauty. So my workshops are called capturing the beauty of the ordinary, and at first it was sort of like how am i going to how am i going to market travel workshops in the middle of covid but what i realized is i i use these tools in my own life every day regardless of where i'm traveling and so being able to slow down and notice an ordinary thing in a different way is something we all can do and so what it when you're when you're drawing live and i always say well, you know if you want to need to draw from photos fantastic draw just draw but if you can choose to go out in the world and draw when you sit down, you're gonna you're gonna remember things in a different way because I look at my communa drawings and I can go back to that moment and I, I absolutely remember where I was, the sounds, the smells, the people that were walking by. Like it is a it is a visceral experience. It's literally like it takes me back to that moment in a, a 3D sort of way. And so when you look at your travel photos, Sometimes you don't even remember when you took them or where you were. You're like, now, where was this? Was this on the boat? You know? So it, it we take them so quickly. We move through them that we, you know, and don't get me wrong. I love a good travel photo just as much as the next person. But when you draw something, you are cementing that memory in your brain. And it is, it's wonderful. So my sister and I will talk about the Camino. And, you know, if you talk about 40 days and, for you know, 40 towns, um, she cannot really remember where we were on certain days. But I do. Like she'll say, No, that was the town of, you know, Nahera. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's where I sat on the bank and we ate ice cream right before I drew that bridge. And she'll be like, How can you remember that? And it's because I was drawing, because and I and I remember them. It's just so wonderful. It's like I literally go back and I have a video in my brain. And so when I talk to folks in my workshops, I'm like, this is what you're your ability to enter into your own life is enhanced, you know, exponentially. And so this kind of idea, you know, we talk a lot about being present in, in you know, current day, but it really is this idea of being present. And I think when folks go on a, on a trip, Um, whether you're a long time traveler or where you're just getting your two weeks on your, you know, your yearly vacation, we want to enter into that time. It's so precious to us. And so being able to do, to do that in a very different way, um, I think is so valuable to people because it changes the way they look at not only the trip, but just it changes the way they look at things when they come home as well. I, I think.
0: Yeah. The memories we carry with us from our travels that's what we have from the trip, right? So if we can enhance those in some ways, drawing is sounds like for you and and your students. And I'm really intrigued by, I love the idea of, yeah, not being limited to a medium like writing. you could, why not sit down and draw something that just gets you present in a different way? Yeah, and I do
1: both. I do both. So in my journals, there's equal drawings and writing. And I do, I do them in, you know, I don't, I don't choose one or the other. I, you know, so it, it, it's, you know, I think the combination of the two is the most powerful for sure.
0: When you went on the Camino, you mentioned coming off the divorce and and kind of this idea of figuring out, kind of working through that, and figuring out what's next. I don't know. I, I'm curious about your thoughts on the intention behind the trip, like having an intention like that behind a trip. That can be that could be sort of a loaded thing for some people, maybe. Like, hey, you know, it's sort of like the I'm going to go travel around the world and find myself thing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But at the same time, it gives you the physical space to kind of work through things. You know, you're going to get that space. You're like leaving your phone behind. You're sort of the trip in and of itself is almost like, if you think of it as like a blocking out this, this kind of time to just sort of go in with this intention. I'm just curious how that, how having that intention worked for you and how you kind of worked through those things as, as you were going along it's difficult to explain i'm sure cuz it's all happening in real time yeah. up and down but
1: you know i think there's two there's two ways to think about it one is so i have a friend who's literally on the camino right now hey tony <laughs> he is walking the camino del norte and um and he this is his second camino and we talk a lot about the Camino. Um, it's, you know, when you, when you meet another friend that's walked it, it's, you know, it's this wonderful, wonderful moment. Cause you know, you get to talk about it as long as you want to. Um, but we, we talked a lot about intention because I think sometimes having an intention, like a very specific intention, um, is can, can be overwhelming and having that expectation can feel weighty. You know, it's like, Ooh, I have to make this decision or I have to, I have to come up with something related to this incredible, you know, incredibly hard moment. I have, to have, have, through.
0: Through. I have yeah. to have a breakthrough. I have to have a breakthrough, you
1: know. And and it's like when you epiphanies aren't forced. You can't force an epiphany, right? And so, uh, especially when you're, you know, you're getting closer to to Santiago, you're like, oh God, I've got three more days to come up with this. So I got three I, more days to have an epiphany. Come on, brain. <laughs> <laughs> um, You know, for me. I think it was less about having um, having that expectation and just needing the time. So saying, I need time to process this, and really, that's what it was about. It was having the time to process it and saying, "I wonder, um, you know, what will come of this time." And it's, I think, one of the words I'm really into right now. And um, any of my friends that will hear this will laugh. Is is having this more of a sense of curiosity, like I'm, I wonder what will happen. I wonder what will happen versus this is what I need to happen. And so I think in any sort of travel, having a sense of curiosity over expectation is a really great place to be because then if something goes awry or your plan to do that certain thing, um, doesn't work out, then you, you're not setting yourself up for having these failed expectations. And so I think it was more of a curiosity. Like, I wonder what this time will do in my brain and my heart to heal, you know? And so, um, and it, you know, don't get me wrong. I got to the Camino and I, I had an amazing experience, but then I went into the, like literally like 2013 was amazing. And then I went into the worst year of my life in 2014. So I went through this process of, of, I do believe healing and the time I needed on the Camino. Um, but then I still had a really, really crummy year after that and had to process a whole nother, you know, it wasn't overnight, but that period of time was still. I still needed that at that time. And when I've talked to friends who've gone through something traumatic, specifically a divorce, because that's really what I can speak to. Um, one of the things is, you know, grief is not linear. You know, you go through something and you're like, I'm over that now, and then two months later, you're down in the trenches again, and you're like, I thought I went through this, and I think for anybody. Grieving something, you know, it could be the loss of someone. It can be the loss of a marriage or um, a dream you'd had, or um, any of those things that we grieve. You know, it's not linear, and you'll find yourself ups and downs. But I still think that idea of just having space to process it is is super important, and then and then not really putting placing any any the burden of an epiphany that you're going to decide what you're going to do next. You know. Um, so, and sometimes those epiphanies do happen and they're wonderful and you have, you know, like one of my epipha- and it's interesting because epiphanies can sometimes be I think I think some of the folks listening will know this when you go travel, it's sometimes less of an epiphany and more of planting of a seed, right? So you go someplace and you're like this was an interesting experience. I wonder again, the curiosity, I wonder what this will change in me over time. So I went on that first Camino in 2013. And then it planted the seed. And over that next year, that really hard year, and then into 2015, I decided I needed to go do it again. And I needed to travel. I wanted to I wanted to take even more time. So I ended up leaving that my corporate job um, and then going and traveling for a year and a half. And I started that year and a half of travel by... Walking um, the Camino Portugues, which I walked from Lisbon up to Santiago, a little bit shorter, but but I walked it alone, where I, as I had walked with my sister in a in the you know the first experience, and so, um, but that wasn't immediate. I didn't come off the first Camino. Ah, this is what I'll do. I'm leaving my job and I'm going to go travel. It took a you know almost two years for that that to happen. Um, actually, over two years, and so um, I think. I think it's almost like, it's like you're kind of, (laughs) I love metaphors and this may not be a great metaphor, but it's almost like you're in that, in that processing time, you're kind of, um, allowing yourself to, um, cultivate new ideas and dreams. And it may not, it may not be that you have a moment where you're like, this is what I'm doing, but it's like, you're, you're, you're giving that your body that time to sort of start to. Think about things in a different way, and maybe that will maybe that will be before the end of the trip, and it might be a year from now, you know or a year a year later so um yeah,
0: there are a lot of ways to do it, but a, a trip is a great way right i, I of course I might be biased this is a trip know right <laughs> but you are really forced to kind of get out of your routines and you're in a totally new place for x amount of time, and it just gives you that box within which to have a lot of these things that you're describing. I love that idea the the sort of I wonder line of self-questioning, right? I wonder what will happen if I do x y or z. We talked about it I would travel, but you could apply that to you know career or any 100%. Other
1: I that is my it's my mantra right now because I'm trying some really interesting things. Um I I I don't have I'm I'm once I kind of came out of the corporate world, I I couldn't I can't go back. And that just means that I'm doing things really differently. And I don't have as much money in the bank as I, you know, maybe would want to, but I, I have that sense of adventure and, um, am constantly being, you know, saying to myself, I wonder what will happen if I go this route or I go this route. Um, so, but I did want to harken back to one thing. The other thing about the Camino that's really different in that space of processing is the walking because you're walking at least, you know, you're walking probably eight hours in that day, maybe not that long, but you know, faster walkers, but you're walking a real, you're, your whole day is walking, you know? And so every day for weeks on end. So, um, you know, where other trips, you might pack them full of adventures and distractions, wonderful distractions, don't get me wrong. But when you're walking, you don't have a lot, a lot, to do and so you know you can listen to your music or you can talk to other pilgrims but there's a lot of time to think and sometimes people go crazy like they're the first few weeks it's just it's overload right it's all like like people trying to meditate they're like i can't do it i can't i can't, I keep can't my brain.
0: spend this much time with myself
1: <laughs> totally and so um you know it everyone does it a little differently but yeah that that is the biggest thing about the camino and and that that grew in me um a um a love of long distance walking which unfortunately i've been having some significant health problems these last not you know back issues body issues where i haven't been able to do any of that i mean and and certainly i haven't been really able to go anywhere to do that um you know i can do hiking here in my own backyard of course i'm in oregon but um i had was able to do some other long distance hikes after that and i'm hopeful i'm super hopeful that i'll get to do it again but but I I had made a vow after that that Camino that my traveling would always be based around these long distance walks because it just was so enriching. It, I felt it felt there it, it's very strange Jason but getting from point A to point B in a in a, you know on a day it felt more satisfying than anything I'd ever done and it was the most it was the simplest thing I'd ever done. And so, you know, it, it was strange how, and, and I talked to all these other pilgrims and so many people felt the same thing. It felt so satisfying, um, you know, body, soul. And um, so I, you know, it's kind of, and you talk to community people do it over and over again. You know, they, they go back and they keep doing it. Most people at the end of their first Camino think I'll never do that again. That was really hard. But then then they're back. (laughs) And so, and, or if they aren't back, they're thinking about going back. And so I think it is, it is kind of an addiction because there isn't another feeling like it. And so that long distance walking, um, and, and then being able to see the countryside, such an, it's such a, you know, we talk about slow travel, like you're, you're in it. That's the slowest travel you can do. So
0: what does being a pilgrim mean to you?
1: There are several aspects of being a pilgrim that appeal to me. Um, one of the things about being a pilgrim on the Camino and, you know, we come to the Camino with all sorts of incredibly different backgrounds, but when you are a pilgrim, you are all kind of, you're all walking in the same direction. You all have the same common goal and it levels the playing field. And so everyone has a backpack everyone has shoes and everyone's just walking. And and the other thing about it is everyone's trying to get rid of their possessions because they don't want to carry them with them. So you only have the barest of essentials. And so it it's really wonderful because it is, um, you know, I can look at someone, I don't know if they're a doctor or a barista, you know what I mean? Not that baristas are that, you know. Hey, baristas, I love you, but you know, I can't tell who's who and it's really beautiful. It's this very, um, I don't know. It's this, it's a spiritual experience cause you, everyone is kinder. There's this, 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 I, I mean, I guess I'm talking less about what I think a pilgrim is and more of what I've experienced on the pilgrimage, but, um, there, there's this ability to be, um, open and honest. I Okay, you know we have so much divisiveness in this country right now, or at least you're in Norway, but in America, it's it, it's pretty intense. It's worse than you know any time I've ever experienced. It's hard to have conversations with people, um, but somehow that shifts on the Camino, and people put that aside, and people are are are. Uh, respectful and kind and they listen to each other and you can walk up to someone and you start sharing your life story and you share more in five minutes with that person than you did maybe with a really close friend because there's this openness where people are um, uh, just more receptive and so um, when I think about pilgrimage I just think I think because everyone knows that you know whether you're there because you went through something intense like a divorce or you're just trying to take space in your life everyone feels there's this commonality and it binds people together and it's so wonderful and um, so there are other long distance treks I've been on and I think each trek can be a pilgrimage I think it depends on what you're why are you taking that time to process um, you know is is you know I, it's a Catholic route that the Camino is a Catholic route. I am not Catholic. Um, there was definitely, I think people find, um, a sense of spirituality on those, those, those paths, regardless of their background. And it might just be the ability to see, see things in a, in a different light. But, um, but I do believe pilgrimage does it because you are taking time and space out of distractive busy lives you have the ability to listen to things experience things enter into maybe spaces that you haven't before and and really that's really what a pilgrimage is is to shift that shift that dynamic in your life we
0: talked about intention a bit and it, the way you're describing it it sounds like the <laughs> if you're going to put a, an intention as an energy around the camino perhaps it's one of Hey, let's, we all agree to be really open here, which totally opens things up in a lot of different ways because, you know, you might feel open walking around Madrid, for example, but that doesn't mean the other people you pass, you know, they got their things going on and they're going to work or whatever. So that, that adds a totally different dynamic. So spiritually, what did that do for you, being for you, anything you mentioned, it wasn't really tied in with a Catholic faith, even though it's a Catholic faith tradition, which is another thing I think that fascinates me about pilgrimages because they, their roots are in Catholicism often, at least some of them and other, other religions have their own pilgrimages and stuff like that. But there's some historical base within a faith but now people go on these pilgrimages and it seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that most people that do it aren't doing it because they're the most devout Catholics, right?
1: But they're doing it for their
0: own religion if you will
1: (laughs) yeah i think that's a really good way of of saying it you know a lot of people are just going because it's a a cool thing to do it's like an epic adventure you know travel experience but there's there's an
0: element of spirituality i mean did that sure
1: i think it's i think i guess people start the camino and and because of that environment that i described like they're people can't help but have a spiritual experience and it, it, it changes, you know, you based on who you talk to, but, um, you know, I, I think there's this, you, you you're walking and you're going into monasteries and churches and sacred places, and you're staying in them overnight. And you're meeting nuns and you're meeting you know you one of some of the places that you stay are these old old you know ancient spaces. And there's just this um this this beautiful like entering into history and 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 then the care the 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 hospital I can never say this word. Pardon me, but it's the hospital at hospitaleros they're the the folks that are that are volunteering that are caring for you like so when you come in and you you know you oh my you know i've got a blister or you know i then you need help they they're there they're volunteering at the albergues and so you just it's this old school way of um you know of service it's this it's this service and so when you're when you're experiencing that along the way you can't you can't ignore it it doesn't just bounce off your back because you you're, you're, um, you know, in many cases you're in it, you're, you're immersed in it. And so regardless of what your faith is, you know, there's a divine, I, I, you know, I believe in, in the divine and, and there's this element of love in it. Like when someone, when, when you're on the side of the trail and someone's like, what do you need? How did I help you? I'm going to stop my Camino and make sure that you get to the next town. Like these are, this is, this is the old school when, you know, the, We all, I don't know if we've all heard it, but you know, it's the Good Samaritan right there in your face. And people don't do that in daily life. And so it's easy to kind of push it away. But people are a site that it's weird. They just shift a little on the Camino. And, um, you know, people will put aside their own goals in order to help another pilgrim. And so, um, and then there's this community. And I can't explain it, but it's so beautiful. So at the end of the day, you know, you've all finally taken a shower and you're exhausted and you're hobbling over to the place where you're going to get your pilgrim dinner and you sit down and with 10 people you've never met before. And you are suddenly like your friends, like there's this, there's just this unwritten rule uh, that you, you, people are just open and welcoming. And there's this, you know, you know, I I wrote in my book and I wrote my book, you know, in 2013 and, and, you know, but it it does feel like what, you know, when someone says heaven, it is what you feel a little bit of what like heaven would be like if you, if you believe in heaven, this idea of, you know, almost like heaven on earth in the sense of people being, like I said, that openness, that kindness, that caring, it's like what we, what we aspire to be as human beings, we are more easily on the Camino and, sometimes you're surprised at yourself. You're like, oh, wow, I didn't know I had this in me. And and then you see it in other people and you're inspired yourself to be that kind of person. And so you can't help walk through that and not be changed. And that's what I mean about that spiritual experience. It might not be like, oh, I was this this way and now I believe this way. It's just more like, oh, I see. So people talk a lot about like, what would Jesus do? You know, Christians talk about that. And it is, you do see Jesus in people. You see, you see that kindness. You see that people stopping and caring for someone they don't know. And so that is, that is changing. That changes you.
0: Have you ever experienced any miracles?
1: Me personally? Oh, depends on your definition of a miracle.
0: Depends on your definition of a
1: miracle, not mine. <laughs> Uh, I grew up Christian and so I still have my definition of a miracle tends to be water into wine. Although... There was a wine fountain on the Camino, and I think that was a miracle. <laughs> you literally there was you walked by this wine, it was a a place, you know, you'd walking through all of these these vineyards. And of course you hear about it, you're like, oh, it's the day of the wine fountain. And you get to come up to this, you know, it's right on right on the path. And there's this little like it's like a little lever on the side of a building, and you go up and you put your literally put your water bottle and, you know, and it has a little sign like, please don't take so you know, don't don't fill your water bottle but and then you you know you get to partake of this wonderful wine and that did feel a little bit like a miracle
0: <laughs> so the miracle there was that you turned your water bottle into a wine bottle <laughs> yes
1: exactly exactly <laughs>
0: hey i mean a, a liter of wine will take you through the day into the night I, I i would imagine we'll get back to the interview in just a moment would you love to have an incredible Sign up over there at travel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. The coming back, you had the rough year. I mean, I'm just wondering at what point the tiny house came into play. I guess I'm bringing this up because it feels like... First of all, I love that you were inspired by the Scandinavian design because you're Dane you have Danish background, is that right? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's
1: my my heritage.
0: Who's Danish? My dad.
1: Family? I my my uh my grandparents, wait, but Rasmussen. I my last name is Gail, which is my mother's maiden name which I took after my divorce um because I didn't want to keep my married name, but my original name, my maiden name was Rasmussen.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. There was a very popular video of you giving the tour of the house, and so if people want to see it, we can post it in the show notes. But uh, just a couple of quotes I pulled out of there. One is, you know, having this home means to me freedom. I mean, we haven't even gotten to your year and a half of travel, but you know, when you go off traveling in the ways that you you have, you have to strip down to the bare essentials. And it seems to me like maybe you carried home those values of minimalism and then just continued living them. <laughs>
1: A hundred percent. You're right. (laughs) Yeah. Jason, you're, you're, you're right on. Like I came back and I remember coming back and looking at my closet and I was just overwhelmed by the amount of clothes that I had. And I thought, you know, especially, and especially after my year of travel. So, so after that year and a half of travel, um, you know, I walked the Camino, I spent time in Scotland. I spent a lot of time in Spain. I did some exhibits of my journal work in Spain, um, and so I I had lived for a year and a half out of my backpack. You know, I pretty much had two outfits. You know, very similar to the Camino in the sense. You know, I had a few more things, but um, I came back and I just felt overwhelmed. I had stripped way down because I had sold everything I owned at that point when I left to go travel. So I'd sold my I'd already sold my house um, when I went through my divorce. I sold my car. I sold all my furniture. Um, I had a handful of boxes, but I still, I remember opening up my my clothing box and just being like, oh my God, what do I wear? I have so many things. And so I actually gave a lot of that stuff away. And um, one of the main the main reasons that I started thinking about the tiny house is as I was traveling, I thought, how do I go back into this world and not have to go back into the corporate world? How do I, how you know, it used to be, I used to be like when you switched a job, I thought, how do I make as much money? How do I keep this standard of living? I need to make as much money as I was making prior or more, you know, that's always the goal, make a little more, make a little more. So I, I, I wanted to flip that on its head and say, how can I live with less? Because that will mean that I don't have to make as much money. (laughs) And so I started thinking about tiny homes. My sister had always been interested in tiny homes. I was very much not an advocate of tiny homes. I thought she's crazy. And, um, when I was married, my ex-husband and I tripled the size of our house. I wanted bigger, bigger, better. But then in that world, that year of traveling, I started living in all these tiny spaces, and particularly the Bathi um, on Iona. The Bathi is like a, it's like a little caravan, and I lived there the first month that I was on Iona. And it was just this beautiful, beautiful space, but smaller than my tiny house. Um, didn't have a bathroom. Um, had to use the hostel. But it was it was, I was so at peace there that I thought, I think I could do this. I think I could do this. And so I started thinking about it and planning. for one of the and,
0: seeds that we talked about that get planted, yes, right? <laughs>
1: absolutely. Absolutely. And so over that year, I started writing to my dad um, um, and he, he passed away in 2020, but he was an architect and he liked the idea of designing my tiny house for me. And so Uh, probably in that November, I remember calling from Iona and um, one of my very rare phone calls and saying, Hey, I think I want to do this. Let's move forward. And part of the reason that I was able to do that is I have a really wonderful friend whose property my house is on, who um, is one of my closest friends, my friend, Tom, and he had offered to let me put my tiny house on his property in downtown Portland. I mean, it's really close in Portland, not downtown. It's on the East side, but close in Portland. And so, um, I had these little pieces come into place and I thought I can do this. And this, this is, this is what will be one of the main reasons that I'll be able to come home and I won't have to get that, that go back into that corporate job. And so so and I'd already stripped everything down, Jason. So one of the things that was easy for me versus another person, we, you know, a lot of people are like, I want to build a tiny house. I have to start getting rid of things. I had already gotten rid of everything before I even decided to build a tiny house. But you did so put I, the work
0: in already. You did that.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it had been this journey, you know, this slow, this journey of slowly getting rid of things. And so it was almost like, hey, I better
0: do something, otherwise I'm going to have to start reaccumulating things, and I don't want exactly, to do that. Like exactly. Exactly. Barrier against yes, reaccumulation.
1: Well, and you know, it's so funny. Even in 200 square feet, I do a I do a purge every year. You and have to, right? Yeah. It, you, you still accumulate and, um, you know, you really have to be really wary. It, it, it isn't something you're like, I'm a minimalist now and I will be a minimalist forevermore. You have to really kind of recommit with, you know... Every time you bring something into your home, you're like, okay, well, what's leaving? Or do I have space for this? Or is this really important? Usually when I go shopping, which is not very often, I'll, I have a need. So there's very rare, it's very rarely that I go shopping and just try to buy something like, Oh, I'm, I want that. I I usually have a need, like I have, I, my jeans just, just ripped in half. I need a new pair of jeans. So I need a bottle of
0: tequila for my (laughs) food
1: collection. (laughs) I mean, I do have four (laughs) spots there. So there's only four bottles of liquor. (laughs) Um, yeah, so it's, you have to be really, um, kind of, kind of a, you know, you have to be committed to it. And to be honest, it's one of the things that has kept me like the happiest in the sense that I talk about this, you know, I think I talked about this on the program as well on the, on the um, tiny house program is everything is weight, everything that you own, there's, there is weight attached to it. And so, you know, and it can be wonderful uh, A thing, you know, a home is a wonderful thing, but the, the maintenance and the care and the the, the work required to keep and maintain that thing is there is a weight attached to it, a mental weight. And so, um, for example, I didn't have a car for years, and now I have a car, but I only have half a car. <laughs> because my sister and I bought one together. So we were like, I need a car for these things, but I don't need a whole car in the sense I don't need it all the time. So my sister and I made this agreement and we trade it back and forth every week. So this week I have a car and I, I do all of my errands and my shopping and you know my appointments. And I just know that that's, we, we trade every week. So I know that's the week I'll have the car. And then the next week I don't have that car, but I have half a car payment, half of an insurance payment, and it works out great. So but that is a very different way of thinking. Most people would never think, how do I, oh, you know, how do I, how do I simplify this? You know, um, we just think I need a car. So this is what I'll get. Now, granted, again, I know that I'm very privileged in that I have a sister who will work with me and yeah. we get along like, really you guys are well.
0: Tight. Yeah, you've gotten a lot. Yeah. Of-
1: so that's not always possible for people. And tiny homes aren't possible. I'm not an advocate of a tiny home for everyone. You know, I people ask me you know would you would you and your partner live there and i'm like no <laughs> we're both very tall and this house is perfect for one person and i get that you know with kids and a dog i see those shows with families in tiny homes and i i don't know how they do it god bless them but i would not do that and so um you know i'm not a person that i think you can be minimalism isn't about how you in the sense of like oh do you live in a tiny house it's 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 a way of thinking like it's a way of being. And, and I think everyone can be a minimalist in the sense of how, choosing, you know, choosing the things that they they want to have in their home. I mean, we can, you know, Marie Kondo, you know, the whole thing about like, does it give you joy? We've heard that a million times, but really it's true. Like, is the thing that you own, do do you have it stashed in your garage and you kind of cringe every time you look at it? Oh, that thing that I need to get rid of, or is it something you use on a daily basis and you enjoy? And so it's a pretty simple way of of being and thinking. Um, it just takes a little bit of work and devotion, you know, just like going to the gym, you know, you're like, I'm going to commit to doing this today and being this way today.
0: Well, I mean, what is like your number one piece of advice around that? Because that's something a lot of travelers have in common. Like, You don't have to be moving into a tiny house to be, I mean, at least from the, like the feedback I get from listeners, a lot of people that are having to sell their stuff to travel. If you want to travel for an extended period of time, you might want to, even if you're going to keep your stuff in storage or whatever even just going through that, usually people pare down in some ways, right? But it can be hard and challenging for a lot of people emotionally, you know, physically there's a lot of places to sell things and to donate things and all that. So a lot of it's emotional, right? Uh,
1: What's kind of your top piece
0: of advice around paring down?
1: I, so I, um, my main things that I kept were my, just, just, like books that were really important to me, artwork that was very important to me, and, um, you know, kind of a family heirloom type things that were important to me, which I have, you know, a, a beautiful antique cocktail shaker that my grandmother gave me or a hat, you know. So it it is the things that you won't be able to replace, you know, and um, so really, you know, of those things, I think it really, I think I had about two boxes of, of like items that I wanted to to keep. Um, I did keep my, in a friend's garage, I kept my grandmother's, uh, she had a beautiful oriental rug that I love and I stored it there. It was the one piece of furniture that I didn't get rid of because it had meaning to me. It had, you know, significance. And so I think people can go through and see you know, If I donate this couch to Ikea or to, you know, someone that needs it, I will be able to go find another couch again. You know, it's, it's just the things that have personal significance. And on the flip side, sometimes we own things that family of family members have given us that we don't really want. (laughs) And I, I am an advocate of letting go of those things, you know, surrendering them to the next person. Um, If my, my thought process is on gifts is if someone gives you something it is now yours to do with as you wish. Um, a lot of times that isn't how it works. People have a lot of expectations around it. But, um, you know, if you're holding on to something, if you're holding on to grandma's, you know, hutch because she gave it to you and you feel obliged, but you really don't want it, you know, give it away. Like, and and then you're not carrying that thing around that you really don't want. So just, again, is everything that you own something that you really want and enjoy. And mm. I think that's a good way to go.
0: Yeah. Thanks for that. I think it's a beautiful True. thing that your dad's creative spirit gets to live on in your home every day. I mean, he helped design the home and everything where you live. And that's just, I think that's so lovely.
1: It is. He, he was an incredibly talented architect and it was, and we, you know, we were, um, we weren't super close, uh, at all. <laughs> it's kind of a, uh, understatement, but we were able to be really connected during this process. And it was probably the most connected I'd been to him as an adult before he passed away. So it was a mm. real gift. Yeah. Mm.
0: Becoming an art teacher. Uh, I get a couple more questions for you. Then we'll, then we'll let you go. Cause I know you got to, Busy day today. But the uh, one thing you said on your website, you said, I never thought I'd become an art teacher. It's one thing to draw and paint, it's completely different to tell people how to do it themselves. It seemed out of reach mostly because I doubted my ability to bring something of value to my students. This is imposter syndrome rearing its ugly head again. We talk about it a lot on the show. I'm just curious about how you kind of overcame that mindset for yourself to push forward and, and, do this. And it seems like it's something that you get a lot of joy from, you know, and you're getting feedback from, from students and people are coming and showing you their pictures and everything. Uh, It must be a nice feeling, but you had to get to that point where you could accept yourself as a, as an art teacher, right?
1: For sure. Because I, my, my education was all self-taught. So I didn't have, I had one really great class and that class actually really served me really well. There's a lot of things I learned from that class that I use in my workshops, but Um, I felt, I felt like I had to reverse engineer what it was that I was doing in the sense that I would just go sit down and draw, but I wasn't really using a lot of techniques that, you know, I didn't learn this in art class. And so I couldn't go back to those techniques and think I'll teach this to someone. And so, um, I didn't really know. I had to think what got me to this point. What am I doing right now? How am I, how am I creating this? What kind of, how how am I using this color? How, How am I using these lines? Um and, and think of how to go could all I, meta
0: on your own process. Yes, right? <laughs> I totally
1: had to go meta. It was it was incredibly intense. Like, and what am like, I doing right now? <laughs> like, what am I doing? And and sometimes, you know, what I would do is I would sit down and so I just I'm pretty excited because my I just just did for the first time uh, about a month ago my first kind of 201 class. I've been doing my 101 class for a long time. And I just um I'm kind of one of those classic procrastinators. And so unless I get committed. I'll get committed. Like someone says, we think you should do this class. And I say, oh, I think I could do it. Yeah. You know, well, yeah, yeah, we'd love for you to do it. And then I commit to a date. And then about three days before the date, that's when I get that class together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I, I remember sitting down and just working through a painting and literally making notes on every stroke I was making. And that was the way I was able to kind of, kind of cull the information I needed for that second class. But, going back to that first class, um, I only created a class because I was doing, um, I was doing an Indiegogo campaign for my, for my, my Spanish exhibitions. And I was, you know, raising money for that. And so it was kind of the big goal. And I thought no one will ever <laughs> buy this and someone bought it. And it ended up that I ended up not doing the class for that person. Cause they, they had basically emailed me and they were like, Hey, they were this wonderful couple that I ended up living with after I came back from Portland. They were like, they're like my second parents. They were like my biggest supporters and they bought the, they bought the, you know, the big money ticket item. And then they were like, we just wanted to support you. We don't really want a class. And I was like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but it saddened me. Cause I was like, okay, I had, I had put it out there. And so I had started to think about it. And then it wasn't until honestly, until like two years later, that a friend of mine who I was, I was in a creative group with and we would meet and draw regularly. And she had seen my journal work and she is a go-getter. She's like one of the most motivated people I know. Her name's Tiffin. And she, she's like, do you teach that? And I, we were literally sitting there. It was like a December. And I said, yeah, I've thought about doing a class. And she said, okay, so when are you going to do it? And I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, cause I want to buy it from my mom. I want to fly her out here. Cause her mom lives, you know, I think in middle America somewhere. And she's like, she's like, I want to fly her out here. And, um, so can you do it next month? And I said, uh, <laughs> sure, let's pick a date. So I picked a date and she literally texted her mom. She's like, okay, she can do it. Great. We're, do- we're coming to your class. It was like all within about a five minute period. And I said, okay, I, I guess I'm doing a class. I mean, nothing like somebody
0: flying their mom out to, for accountability, right? (laughs) Just like, I cannot let this woman down.
1: (laughs) No, I know. So she literally, like, it was a kick in the butt. I don't know that I would have done it had she not done that. And so, um, I did, that was my first live workshop and then, and then literally COVID hit. And so, and then it took me about, about a year to figure out, you know, you know, to do the whole online thing. And so, um, So I was kind of just pushed into it in a beautiful way. And I'm so grateful because I think that imposter syndrome would have sort of kept me paralyzed because one of the other things about the imposter syndrome, I think imposter syndrome goes hand in hand with perfectionism. And I tend to be a perfectionist. And so I'm like, well, if I can't do it the most perfect, perfect way, then I just won't do it at all. And, you know, I don't know who said this. There's probably multiple quotes out there, but but done is better than perfect is, I think I heard that, I think Elizabeth Gilbert might've said it in in her book, Big Magic, which is a fantastic book for any artistics. So, but, um, but this idea of, you know, just putting it out there and you can improve it over time. It doesn't have to be this perfect thing when you, when you put it out in the world, it can be it can be what you have now. And that's really hard for me. So I've had to overcome that and think, okay, just get it out there. And every time it is literally, it's it's like pulling teeth. Like I'm like, I don't want to put it out because I want it to be just a certain way. And, uh, but you never have movement unless you put something out there, right? Because you're always going to improve it and change it. It can never be perfect when you, when it's, you know, it's never just static. And, and that's what I've had to learn. And so, um, yeah. That's that's the key. I nervous. think that's always a help. that's a helpful reminder, right? Like, you know,
0: Hey, how am I going to feel about this in six months? Well, even if I think it's perfect right now, first of all, can I get it to be perfect? And even if I did reach that unattainable perfection in like a week, I'm probably going to think this, <laughs> this needs,
1: I look back at my, you know, when you put something in written form and you make it, you know, like you publish a book and then you, you know, the thing about like, for example, writing and you, I'm sure, you know, you know, I wrote something, how I thought about the world and I've shifted so much yet it's frozen in time. And I have to honor that. That's who I was at that moment in time. And that's okay. And I think that that's the idea with work is like in that moment in time, this is what you put out in the world and that's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be, um, yeah, you know, everything changes. And, and I think our work and, you know, reflects that.
0: So if you're in the back catalog, listening to this like 300 episodes into the future. <laughs> right? This is who we are in this moment of time. Here we are. Here I, uh, we are. Kari, Absolutely. thank you. Thank you so much for taking your time to share a bit about who you are in this moment of time here. And I want to just give you an opportunity to kind of share the things you have going on and let people know. And of course, we're going to link to all this stuff. But yeah, like let people know where to come find you and everything.
1: Yeah. So I'm at KariGale.com uh, on the web and my Instagram is Kari M Gale. And, uh, I, right now I'm super excited about these courses, uh, right now the the way currently in this moment in time, my courses you can take live with me online, but I'm very excited because I'm working on getting these courses um, so that people can download them and take them on their own time. So, and, and hopefully more an extended, extended catalog. So not just my one hundred and one course, but a, a series of courses that I've kind of started to develop. So I'm very excited about that. And perhaps even by the time this podcast comes out, those, those will be ready to go, but you can find everything that I have at carigale.com. I'm also really excited about a, a future project that my partner and I are starting, Um, it's called six foot three productions and, um, there's nothing out in the world yet, but it's a teaser because we're going to be doing some really great. He's a, my partner, Scott is a graphic designer and an artist, and we're working on some projects together. We have already collaborated on a project that you can see on my website, which is our, our cocktail, um, our cocktail prints. We have a series of cocktail prints. And, um, he did the design and the hand lettering and I did the illustration. And so we're working on some more of those projects, which I'm really excited about. Um, and, but those will all be, if, if when that site launches, you'll be able to find it on my Instagram and I'll be advertising it on my own website as well. So.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing everything today. I mean, beautiful, beautiful artwork. I encourage everybody to go check out the site. I'm looking at some of the Oregon pieces you did right now. It takes me takes me there in in a really cool way and like I see you got one for the Japanese gardens here which we were just at some months ago and uh, just really amazing stuff and love your story and your honesty and thank you so much for just being willing to come on and yeah just just share I really truly appreciate it and I hope we can stay in
1: touch thank you Jason it's been a pleasure There you have it. I want to thank Kari
0: for stopping by the show for the wonderful chat. Really enjoyed that. Hope you did as well. I'm going to leave you with a quote on curiosity in just a moment. First, I want to give a shout out to a listener right here in this community who left me a voicemail just the
2: other day. Hey, Jason. Kristen here. Fellow Philadelphia area native, but heart's true home is to be determined been listening to the Zero to Travel podcast for three years, and I'm long overdue to send you a heartfelt thank you for all that you've cultivated over the past 10 years. Congratulations. Um, This community is incredible. The different speakers and the different topics that you talk about is always fascinating. It's been eye-opening to me to learn the different ways that you can travel that's beyond the traditional book a flight, book a hotel, spend a lot of money, and come home. Um, I am like-minded and in that I want to live my life differently, really get into the locales and uh, slow travel is very interesting to me. Um, Getting to experience culture outside of the U.S., maybe living outside the U.S. someday. I currently work for a Fortune 500 company and it's not the right environment. So I'm in the process of figuring out what's next and to feel a part of a community where I'm not alone is Uh, incredible i mean words cannot describe you also are preparing me for the current travels that i am taking in the meantime i just got back from the dominican republic with my first bout of food poisoning but i have to say it was literally thanks to you and this podcast that i knew that it's bound to happen if i'm going to be a traveler um so you got me through thank you and please stay in touch
0: yes food poisoning indeed bound to happen, but you got through it. Congratulations. And thank you so much for the kind words, Kristen. Honored to have you as a part of this community. i just like to share these messages to remind people listening here, you're not alone. We're all in this together. Here to help each other out, rising tide lifts all boats. And if you want to get in touch, you can always drop me an email, jason at zero to travel.com or better yet, leave me a voicemail. I always love to hear uh, from listeners and I respond to all those. So thank you so very much for taking the time and uh, one thing I want to point out, first of all, I love how she said, uh, my heart's true home is to be determined. <laughs> that was really cool. Uh, I think that's a good uh kind of approach if you know you're not uh, you're not where you're supposed to be. it's okay if that's TBD, right? Keeps your heart open to uh, finding its true home. And also, she's in the process of kind of figuring things out in her words and that's a that's always a part of life, right? No matter what stage we're in, we're always trying to figure out the next thing. And this kind of goes back to one of the core themes uh, of the show, I think, curiosity. Staying curious, remaining curious is uh, something that for me personally helps me in my daily life, right? If I can just bring the curiosity to whatever I'm doing, it's fulfilling, it it opens up new ideas of creativity, And it allows me to be a better listener, I believe. I'm really curious about somebody, genuinely. Curiosity is really one of the things, personally for me, that drives my happiness in many ways when it comes right down to it, which is why I wanted to leave you with this quote from Bryant McGill, who said, curiosity is one of the great secrets of happiness. And I I believe it. That's been true for me in my life anyway. So I'll leave you with that. also want to say thanks once again for listening. Peace and love to you and yours. And I'll see you next week. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.